This week's show is brought to you by Horizon Books, serving Seattle book lovers for over 47 years with one of the best used book collections anywhere in Cascadia. Check them out on 10th Avenue, right near Numos, right here in Capitol Hill. Mention Upzones at the register for a 10% discount. This week's sponsor is Horizon Books, and this is Upzones. You have to elect yourself daily. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. Happy Cascadia Week. We made it. Another trip around the sun here in the Pacific Northwest. What a beautiful time of year it is. I think it's time for a celebration, personally. There's so much bullshit going on right now. Um, I've talked about this on a number of occasions. I won't overemphasize the negative yet again. I think we're in a really good spot, though, here in Cascadia. We've done some amazing stuff. We continue to grow and change as a region. I was having a conversation with a good buddy of mine, uh, his name of Mike. I'll mention him sometimes. He's one of the great woodworker philosophers of the Seattle area. And I told him, I just want humans to get to the Trappist system and colonize space. You know, what's so bad about that? What's so bad about wanting people to change and improve and evolve and be at peace and not be so focused on the material that... We get to another planet. What's so hard about that? <laughs> and he, he said, yeah, that's a hobby, Ian. That's an intellectual hobby. It's great, but what does it do for people? And I said, I guess you're right, but maybe, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe wanting these better things are just hobbies, but I also think there's a lot of value in wanting them and expressing them and, and, <laughs> we may not get to the Trappist system anytime soon or in the next thousand years. Uh, we may not even launch a, a flight to Mars, but we can make where we are better. And that's what I think Cascadia represents. That's why a lot of folks who are um, currently coalescing around the idea of Cascadia just as a region. And you'll hear me talk to our first guest, Andrew Eggleston. He, he's the founder of Cascadia Magazine. We, we share the sentiment that Cascadia can be New England. Cascadia can be Dixie, but good. Cascadia is a living, breathing thing that is a uh, coherent community, and, and there are differences, uh, rural to urban, uh, certainly political differences, but we have the ability to create a region that's actually dynamic and, and something. And I think we got to celebrate that. And so this is Cascadia Week, Cascadia Magazine. Check it out online. And, uh, you know, also our second guest, Daniel Azulai, I think he fits really well into that theme of both Cascadia celebrations and uh, fucking space, because he is one of the organizers of the regional burn uh, in the Burning Man culture, something that is not well understood, I think, by a lot of folks who don't participate in it, something that just like Seattle, just like the region, just like Cascadia is changing. I've joked with him that it's gentrifying. It used to be, you know, a bunch of artists and 
uh, wacky survivalists and now it's a bunch of tech folks and, and he doesn't disagree. But uh, there's something very special about that that just overlaps so well with the culture of Cascadia. You know, any, anyway, we, we've got a housing problem to solve, a housing crisis to solve, uh, a homelessness crisis to solve. Rents are going up way too fast. We still don't have enough transit. But this region does so many things so right. And the people here do so much great creativity, art, culture creation. Uh, so these two folks are just sort of part of that. And I think everyone's going to enjoy the ride. Let's start with Andy. Guest. Mine's my last guest on Grinder. <laughs> well, talk to my wife about that. Well, you know, oh, keep mine. Oh, oh man. So, did you grow up here? I did. I grew up in uh, Bremerton. Okay. I was born and raised in Bremerton. Uh, went to high school there. My dad worked for the uh, Navy as a civilian engineer for 30 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. 35 years. Yeah. So it was. I mean, it was a different town at that point. I mean, Bremerton, of course, but even Seattle. And exactly. Tacoma. And I went to the University of Washington. Oh, okay. I uh, graduated in 1990. So, yeah, I've been around a long time. Graduated in 1990. Yeah, so the, it's, it's, a, it's really different. And you know. did you park out here for a while after school or did you take off? I know. I was here. I pretty much lived here most of my life. I did take a, a break in 2009 to live overseas. Yeah, well, uh, well we'll I definitely want to talk about that. If you're saying 90, yeah. so, I mean, this city was was culturally right because of the grunge thing and yeah it was blowing up right do you get to any of the old the nirvana show you know i missed my chance to say i was at you know that, that first uh, you know mud honey show right, whatever, right and all right. that kind of stuff now temple the dog <laughs> uh, yeah i was kind of a geek at that point uh, but certainly I, I i lived on capitol hill in a little apartment and loved it it was a great city it was it was fun and you could you know work at i would work a bookstore you know right. i lived on capitol hill in a little apartment right. which, you know, which bookstore uh, university bookstore. That's cool. So you, and then you, about '09, you went off to Vietnam. Is that correct? Right. My what, what brought you there? My wife works in uh, global health, and okay. so we took our family there. Lived there for four years, and then after that, moved to Geneva, Switzerland, for three years, and then came back in uh, 2016, summer of 2016. What's the biggest difference in terms of if you could put your finger on one thing that that the Northwest is has that is fundamentally different from you know the other parts of the world you've lived oh it's different from other parts of the world yeah what or what is it that's so unique to, to this place well it has this amazing mix of the natural beauty you know the mountains the ocean mm-hmm. trails amazing rainforests and then this amazing melange of stuff going on in the urban environment of this diversity of cultures like you deep can, culture yeah, yeah i mean you can get you know ethiopian food you know yeah. you can get great vietnamese food you know you've got these communities down in the south end you know you know just a lot of rich culture that you don't really find elsewhere i mean so it's really got all those things like when i was living in geneva you know you had these amazing mountains but it's an expensive place to live it's not super diverse yeah, so I, I do appreciate that here. Yeah, right on. It's not super diverse. And we have some issues around, you know, unpacking a history of real segregation. and Absolutely. Also, I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't dispute that. Yeah. I, I don't dispute that it's a, it's a segregated city. Oh, yeah. Um, and increasingly so, if you look at the schools. Um, right. Really, you know, we had that system where we were you know, doing busing for a while, and then there's this whole choice program, and they abandon all that. And it's you, you really are seeing that, that the schools in the South End are really facing some crises right now, mm-hmm. I think. And, and you know, Seattle thinks of itself as a really progressive city, but in many ways it's very uh, attached to kind of certain ways of being. It's very 
the bourgeois and you know people aren't willing to make certain changes you know about you know, how the kids are educated or how they get around the city or know? what views they have with their houses yeah. the, we, we've been speaking about that a lot here on this show yeah absolutely speaking more regionally because that's your bag really you know you're a journalist and you're taking on this project of Cascadia magazine, mm-hmm. which uh, speaks to both the culture, but then also a lot of the civics of the area. So a lot of the, the politics, mm-hmm. and then also a lot of the arts and very strong poetry em- emphasis, which is mm-hmm. something that we have in common. Um, what did I miss? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, a mix of both like long-form journalism, you know, and really looking at a lot of different issues. A lot of environmental issues, of course, are really important to the region. You know, profiling all you know all sorts of different kinds of people who are here. Yeah, fiction, poetry, uh, some arts coverage, photography, and really trying to capture the culture of the region. I, I, I kind of think of it as like kind of a biologist coming into uh, an ecosystem and going, okay, what's here? You know, what's mm-hmm. what's here? Um, and it is, it's diverse. There's a surprising amount of diversity that I don't think gets paid attention to in terms of the different cultures and, you know, you know, in indigenous communities, you know, creating lots of different art, you know, immigrant communities. And so that's, you know, my interest is really looking at all those different things in a way that, that maybe we haven't before. Mm-hmm. Let me step back. What brought you there? What, what made you go, yeah, Cascadia Magazine? Well, it's interesting because there's not really, surprisingly, there's not really any publication that's looking at it from like 30,000 feet, that's not looking at the Cascadia region as a right, whole. Right. And so that's the niche I'm trying to fill and trying to... Um, yeah, just capture, I mean, the thing that's interesting to me is, you know, in Seattle, we'll pay attention to the New Yorker magazine, or we'll be following, you know, theater in Manhattan, and, you know, but we don't know very much about Vancouver, B.C., which is a city just three hours to the north. Mm-hmm. Um, Big, beautiful, burgeoning, uh, very cosmopolitan, mm-hmm. very ethnically diverse, mm-hmm. best dim sum in, like, the world. Exactly. I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, what's going on there in terms of, like, arts and, and writers, um, I think we don't, we're not really aware of, and politics as well. Like, if you'd asked, you know, people in Seattle, you know, who's the premier of B.C., you know, not many people would know. And, and similarly, in Vancouver, you know, m- most people wouldn't know who the governor of Washington is. Or, you know, the thing that, like, in Vancouver, you know, what's the baseball team they follow? They follow the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. You know, they don't yeah. follow the Seattle Mariners. And whenever the Blue Jays come to Seattle, all those damn Vancouverites come down. <laughs> they all come down and play. I get place. so pissed. My fiance doesn't understand why that pisses me off so much. But I'm like, come on, man. Don't yeah. sell them tickets. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy, you know. And so, so yeah, I think there's ways that you can bridge that culture and bridge that, that 49th parallel, or bridge that yeah. divide. Yeah. Uh, in a way that could be really interesting. And and I was up there recently on a trip, you know, meeting with, with journalists and writers up there, and they were thrilled that, like, an, uh, someone in the United States was, like, up paying attention to right, what's going on. Right. You, know, because... you know, I have a, um, I'll admit, it, I, I, it was my idea, so I'm patting myself on the back a little bit, but we, <laughs> you know, we are all affiliated with some of the Cascadia movements here, and mm-hmm. I do, you know, Cascadia now is our, is our fiscal sponsor. And mm-hmm. We were sitting around talking about some of the projects of Cascadia now, and mm-hmm. uh, it occurred to me then that, Cascadia as a region has an opportunity to be a lot like the South, mm-hmm. but good, <laughs> as an idea. Uh, it, is, it is fundamentally progressive because it crosses the national border, right. but it's, it, it is rooted actually in its diversity, right? Rather mm-hmm. than there's some uncomfortable stuff around the South, right? Even, right, even right. the people who are maybe not bigots or whatever, it's still kind of a little uncomfortable about like the roots of that cultural and ethnic mm-hmm. identity. Sure. We don't necessarily have that as core to Cascadia. Surely, and there's a history, definitely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you've got, you know, the, the, you know, the crazy stuff in, like, Oregon's constitution was, you know, 
patently racist Ra and, yeah, and prevented yeah. African American yeah. Americans from, from coming in yeah. from moving until yeah, the nineteen yeah. twenties. So yeah. there's you know there's definitely a history, uh, yeah, but right. it's not a dominant. You know we think of ourselves as progressive here. I mean, it's not a pervasive ideology. Yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. And then you have the the celebration of arts, the celebration of like technology and advancement, mm -hmm. and you know I I actually think until the housing crisis hit critical mass in the last four years. We actually mm -hmm. celebrate, we love that like Microsoft is from here. And, right, right. Uh, now there's some weird politics around tech because of frankly Amazon sure. and, 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 and bad policy. You know, we weren't prepared to catch Amazon is really what it was. But but on the whole, I think we what we are as a region could be that. It could be the South, but good. Yeah, yeah, and I think there is like an identity. I mean, you know, people do identify with the region and, and it is this, this immigrant community, I mean, except for the First Nations people who have been here and, and, and Native American people who have been here for thousands of years, you know, what's, what's the rest of the history here? It's only like 150 years, you know, of colonization. And so everyone here is an immigrant in some ways, you know, I mean, fairly, you know, fairly recently. And so, yeah, that's a kind of a pervasive culture. And that's, you know, it's been a, an entrepreneurial place, you know, a place where you come and, you know, mine for gold, you know, or you, you know, start up a you know, an airplane company mm -hmm. that takes off, you know. So, yeah, there's all that, all those levels that are really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and it's got a culture. And, and you don't have that, say, in the, you know, maybe in the Northeast, you know, between, like, Canada and the U.S. and the Northeast. There's not that sort of... Well, even New York big, to Boston. I mean, yeah. New England is a region. And yeah, that has yeah, a, yeah. You know, but New England starts in, like, Upper Connecticut and kind of, you know, it doesn't, it's not the Northeast. And, and, you're, mm -hmm. and that's where originally I was, I'm native to there. I've mm -hmm. been here long enough now, but... New York is New York, and yeah. Baltimore is Baltimore, and Philly is Philly. This is a much more regional feel. So how long have you been run, up and running? So we, we launched in late January, um, so a few months now. And uh, yeah, the response has been great. And uh, we've, uh, I've been lucky to find some really great writers who mm -hmm. are doing uh, really great work. I mean, we just, I worked with this journalist, Jerome Turner, who's up in uh, Vancouver who's an indigenous writer and did this great piece on First Nations uh, activists who are opposing the Kinder Morgan pipeline in right. British Columbia, which would you know, increase uh, the amount of oil coming to Vancouver threefold, increase the number of tankers in the Salish Sea seven times over. And so it's been a really effective movement. And he did a great piece interviewing the, the activists who are, who, are, who are working on I remember um, that article. That. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I was really, really excited about that. I hate to compare it to The New Yorker because I don't want to sound pretentious, but I mean, it is like a cultural magazine. I'm trying to capture what's going on among the people here yeah. um, in the region. And um, and it's really interesting what you can do with a pretty small budget, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I know journalism is really, you know, it's in a crisis right now, and you're seeing layoffs all the time. But, I mean, there are some really scrappy small publications, a lot of them that are online only, that are doing some really interesting work with pretty small budgets and dedicated people. Is there a plan to go to print, or, or are you going to stick? I would love to, uh, but print is, it's more expensive. I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing because, you know, you've got a print magazine, you can sell it, you can make some money, but it's expensive to to start up. I'm, I'm down the road maybe, but at okay. this point in the next year or two. The, the, the business model at this point is online. And that's fa fabulous. You guys are doing great work, so it's not Thanks. suffering for lack of print. Thanks. So you got anything coming up? Yeah. In fact, um, June 1st, uh, we're kind of kicking off our fundraising drive. We're going to do a fundraising drive in the month of June. And so hopefully in the works, we've got an event uh, on Friday evening uh, reading some fiction, poetry, and maybe some journalists as well. A date and location to be announced, but uh, yeah, that evening. We're recording this before then, but we'll run this right uh, right, right up uh, that week. Great. 
We like to end every show with a segment we call, if you care about, you should. Fill in the blanks. Long pause. <laughs> we can edit those out. <laughs> well, I mean, if you care about supporting journalism, mm -hmm. uh, you should really support the publications that do good work, you know, whether it's buying a subscription to a newspaper, mm -hmm, giving a mm -hmm. donation uh, to an online site that you read a lot, or, you know, buying books, buying, you know, the books of writers you like, because that's how they're going to make a living. That's great. That's fabulous. We, we've been getting a lot of good tips, you know, check primary sources, get the contacts, mm -hmm. support good journalism. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually sensing a thread, even though we're very kind of urbanization centered here, mm -hmm. it seems like folks who traffic in those areas in particular know how dangerous misinformation can be yeah. or lack of information entirely. Maybe yeah. it's hard to say which is worse, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's great. That's great advice. Cool. Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, Andy, thanks yeah. for coming on. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate it as well. All that's right. Nice. That was Andy. Sweet guy, isn't he? Uh, check out his magazine. I think it's really worthwhile. And now let's hear from Daniel Azulai and learn a little bit about the regional Burning Man culture. How are you doing? Good. I was having trouble with the last question. If you like X, then you'll do, or if you care about X, then you'll do Y. If, yeah, if you care about it, you should. Yeah. Mm. Well, you're here. It's, it's final exam day. So hopefully <laughs> something pops into your head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what's been going on? How are you? How's, uh, you are, hey, are you an Atlanta guy? I am an Atlanta guy. You grew up, born and raised? Uh, yeah, North Atlanta, the great north. Yeah. Yeah, DeKalb County in an area called Dumbledy, Georgia. What's it like growing up there? Any town suburb. Okay. You know, bicycling, playing stickball. Yeah, out till dark, be home by dark kind of thing. Being home by dark, taking shortcuts to get to school, Yeah. regular yeah. elementary school, um, wanting a car, not getting a car quickly enough. Yeah, all um, that stuff. You know, sexual frustrations. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, the usual for a uh, a Jewish kid growing up in a in a uh, in the south. <laughs> yeah, in the south. <laughs> right. Lots of confusion. Uh, that city is having the shit gentrified out of it, huh? Right now, it's sort uh, of like doing a Seattle thing in its own kind of way. I would say that it has been lately. Yeah. yeah really um, changing. Yeah. Yeah, because basically what happened is more people moving into the city, uh, less people want to deal with traffic, right? And um, they built this Beltline. Right, and the Beltline is like these old railroad tracks. The, that's the that's what the Marta is that what it's called? Well, the, the Marta is a public transportation system. Uh -huh. The Beltline is the old railroad tracks that they had that go around the city. Right, they redeveloped it to um, be like kind of like a walk, live, play. Yeah, as yeah. long as you're white. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a yeah, that's a big issue. We've been talking with a couple of guests about how that always seems to happen. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Your parents. Uh, your dad's Israeli, right? Yeah. Israeli immigrant. So you. Well, technically, he was born in Morocco. Okay. Um, so Moroccan. Yeah, but uh, him and his family moved to Israel when he was three. So that was like in 1953 mm -hmm. or so. Mm -hmm. uh, they flew to Israel on Operation Magic Carpet Ride. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what, is, what is that? <laughs> basically, the Israelis sent over several ships and took them and took the Jews that were there in Morocco out of Morocco because after the founding of Israel in 1948. A lot of Jewish communities in the diaspora felt more persecution, especially in uh, some of the Middle Eastern states. Mm. Uh, Morocco was a place that had had Jewish community that was relatively large, like up to two hundred thousand people for five hundred years. That was after we got kicked out of Spain. Right. Uh, we just right. went across the street. It's like oh, over there. It looks <laughs> good. Let's go there. Yeah. Um, so 
but like after after Israel was founded, my my uh, family was telling me that they just like a lot more things started happening. Like uh, for their cousins, two of their cousins got kidnapped mm -hmm. and were like held for ransom, and then uh, they paid the ransom and the cousins were killed anyway. Wow. Um, so some messed up stuff, and yeah. they decided like, all right. So just like a a, like deeply politicized increase in violence. I mean, you're seeing that. I hate to be dramatic, but you're seeing that now a little bit with the where where some political changes over here lead to kind of acts of cruelty and violence over here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it could happen, yeah. yeah. His family moved to Israel, and they lived on a small moshav, which is like a communal farm. Is that uh, like a kibbutz? Is there a similarity? Or? It's like a kibbutz, but like a little bit less structure and like uh, smaller even. Mm -hmm. um, so. so it's like a regional burn. It's, it's, it's not the main thing. Not the, it's like... uh, a regional burn. Um, <laughs> yeah, with farming. Yeah. <laughs> and like not a bunch of rich people yeah. partying. <laughs> so, uh, he, used, he told me a story about how like he remembers going to Shabbat services mm -hmm. in the small town. And then shortly after Shabbat services, him and the Kurdish or the Moroccan and the, and the local Kurdish immigrants uh, would always fight because uh, there was a belief that they stole each other's watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> this is like... Classic like farmer turf dispute, right? I mean, they were really good watermelons, <laughs> so it was hyper local. Yeah. <laughs> it was in his backyard, farm so. to table. Yeah, farm to table. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, so it, it, and and I think the dispute was that it wasn't hyper local because it was going too far, like it was, a, it a was, few blocks yeah. versus a few feet. It was so, hyper dislocated. Yeah, yeah that was the, the real nature of the dispute. Right. You know. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so he came over as a as an adult, probably. Right? Yeah, he met my mother at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Um, your mother's American, she born is and raised. Yeah, American born and raised, and wanted to go to Israel to go to school. Mm -hmm. She did really well in high school, but decided that she wanted to go try something new, mm -hmm. um, and went on a journey to Israel and enrolled in the Hebrew University and met my dad in a class. Uh, my dad asked her what time it is, and she gave him. Or no, my my dad put away his watch. Asked her what time it is, um, and then uh, she gave him the time, and then he asked if he could walk her home. Uh, so she, that's where you get. She the, responded you, no. She said no. Oh, so yeah. I was gonna say that's where you get your game from, but maybe you've actually stepped it up a, a generation. Or I mean, I, my dad has some game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. Okay. Then, <laughs> so, fair enough. so it, it, you know, if it's genetic, then then, then, then it's, it's all yours. Down. Yeah, yeah it. at least at least lately. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, how long have you been involved with the local burn scene? In some shape or form, for almost two and a half years. The whole, the whole time, yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you've got a long history as a as a as a burner. Yeah. Right? What, yeah. Um, Last year was twelve years. Uh, this year will be my thirteenth year, so it's going to be my burn mitzvah. Mm. Um. <laughs> and that's and that's a, when you say thirteen, you mean down at the playa at Burning Man, capital B, capital M. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I've been a couple times. I love it. Mm -hmm. That's how I know you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what made you go? What what made you pick up and just go, ah, fuck it, I'm going to Burning Man? Yeah, so um, my brother Shai, who you know as well, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. moved out to California, uh, moved out to San Diego, and a friend of his invited him to this wacky festival in the desert in Reno. And that was probably like 2003, so before it was really big, before it was more, before it was well-known outside of like San Francisco right. and like West before Coast Before it, it gentrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> to an extent and he went and then he took my older brother yoni um as well and then invited me and so in 2006 it was my senior year of college and i managed to get out of classes and go to the burn i thought it was going to be like a bunch of hippies in a drum circle to yeah. be frank 
and like really boring. Oh, it's nothing like that. I mean, it's it's everything you can expect. There's yeah, there's drum circles as yeah. well. Oh, there sure are. Yeah, yeah but um, but it's not all encompassing. Pro problematic uh, spirit animal consulting sessions from white guys with dreadlocks. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, my my roommate uh, from Atlanta, <laughs> a Mexican guy named David Barcelona, had a problematic <laughs> animal spirit consulting session. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, it's great, and and I know that you've brought a lot of that. Like now, that's come to the kind of the regional thing here. Not the bad stuff. I mean, the burn attitude. You know, well, the all the stuff. Yeah, all the, all the, I guess all the stuff, huh? Yeah. For the listeners who a lot of a lot of artists, but also a lot of young professionals who may not know uh, what goes on here in the burner community. What what is there to do? Uh, there's a lot. So Seattle has a pretty strong Burning Man community. There's a couple. There's a few big events every year. Uh, the biggest one is Critical Northwest. Mm -hmm. um, it takes place right near Granite Falls, and it's about a thousand people last year, something like that. And it takes place in a beautiful setting where they have um, the uh, Freemasons Camping Lodge. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's what it's called. But it's like old growth forest, really really nice weather because it takes place in July, and it's just like kind of a camp out and a place to go have fun. Mm -hmm. And it does have a lot of art. Um, this year there was actually there's a, a small river so you can go floating down the river. Oh. Um, so there was a new department, Department of Floating Vehicles, nice. um, <laughs> DFE, uh, that distributed uh, lots of different rafts. Uh, and so you could go in the midst of the festival, you could go up a route and then go down the and river. Just take your tube down. Yeah, and uh, it was pretty comical because like it's 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 just shallow enough where uh, a rock will tip you over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I recall a certain day that uh, Stacy, my wife, and uh, Vinay, who you know as yeah, well, yeah, um, were kind of sitting by the riverbank and watching people tip over, uh, watching their um, rafts pop. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of a highlight for me, kind of watching <laughs> other people's misfortunes. Yeah, that's, well, that's a big part of the burn, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a lot of parts, and that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's every July, more or less? Yeah, every July. Okay, and that's uh, usually a couple thousand, maybe about a thousand people, something like that. Uh, just uh, just over a thousand. And uh, you're on the board of, of the organization, right? Yeah. So you know, like with Burning Man, it's it's supposed to be there, there's an anarchic element to it. Mm -hmm. um, but for uh, an anarchic element, there sure is a lot of organization. Yeah, sure. Um, INW, which is Ignition Northwest, is the organization that is responsible for Critical Northwest. So that mm -hmm. particular event. And sea compression, right. which is What's a decompression event. So after the burn, after the main Burning Man, so which takes place at the end of August, early September, there's always decompression events throughout the world, throughout the U.S. Ours is called sea compression, Seattle compression. Mm -hmm. So portmanteau. Yeah. <laughs> Glad I got to say that word on air. Uh, a portmanteau of I Seattle and decompression. I think that's the first time portmanteau has ever been said on my show. I so. hope not the last. Yeah, I, I want it every episode now. Yeah, <laughs> so... Um, so sea compression is that. And Why decompression? Like, uh, what would one need to decompress from a, a week-long vacation for? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think with Burning Man and to an extent the regionals, uh, it's such an intense experiment, experience because you go out to a very different environment, like a dusty desert that's mm -hmm. completely flat, uh, has music thumping around, has odd vehicles, um, but it feels like a city in some ways. And it's really hard to describe exactly what it feels like to be there, but I can say that it really kind of like feels like a vacation in that you are not used to the usual surroundings. Um, it's a very indulgent place. It's a very beautiful place with a lot of art. It's a very silly place. 
and, and for a lot of people, it's a very freeing place where mm -hmm. you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You know? So yeah, like I would say it can be just such an intense experience. And like, honestly, it can go both ways where emotions are polarized either way. Sure. You can where, have a real bad experience yeah, too. Yeah. Real big highs, real big lows. So when you come back first, it's like integrating into the world where like not everybody offers you free drinks everywhere you go. <laughs> right, um, right. And there's cars and people are kind of like on guard a little bit. Yeah. And they're on their like, phone all the time. And, yeah. They're on their yeah. phone and it's just like uh, it, the default world as they call it, can feel like a very cold mm -hmm. place. Yeah, and un inhuman almost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sh the shower part is great. The not having <laughs> dust part is great. <laughs> so anyways, when you get back to the default world, there's a lot of emotions. A lot of people have a, a post-burn depression, like sure. a postpartum depression. Right. And so they need, they, they find comfort in going to these one-day events, mm -hmm. which is usually mm -hmm. the decompression, the mm -hmm. decompression in this case, where they meet the people they made at the burn, they see a lot of the art, and for one night, they kind of relive the spirit. And so it helps them kind of like ease back in. And that's in life. Seattle proper, if I'm not mistaken. It's in Seattle proper. Um, it was in Burien last year. Okay. okay. So the great town of Burien let, yeah. us, let us have it there. That's and fantastic. It was a great event. Our president, Ben Tramposh, and a bunch of others uh, ran it and made it like really, really excellent. We got a cool square that we were able to use and like a lot of space, a lot mm -hmm. of interesting art. And then a couple of What's the turnout like, for an event like that? Uh, it was a a few, I want to say 2000, I can't remember so the this exact is, This amount, is like a legitimate community. There's numbers there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's definitely wow. numbers, yeah. That's great. And mostly from, mostly from, let's say, King County, or is it, or is it more far flung than that? So, there's a lot in Seattle, there's a lot in South Seattle, mm -hmm. there's a lot in North Seattle, a, a decent amount in like East Seattle, um, so it's, it's pretty distributed. There's mm -hmm. even a Tacoma contingent mm -hmm. out there mm -hmm. as well. That's awesome. Anytime you have like a bigger population center in a relatively liberal area, that's yeah. where you'll find like decent amount of the burners. Burners. Yeah. So as you can imagine, Portland right. is a big community. Sure. Well. One of the things you touch on on a more serious note, you know, it, it's perceived in many ways as a den of privilege and a lot of white folks, a lot of um, folks with, well, you know, disposable income. Has there been any effort or is there any converse, even just conversation around uh, the local burn, uh, critical Northwest, or sea compression to engage people of color or to engage lower income communities or anything like that, or just to make it a more diverse kind of event? Yeah, uh, it's a really good point and definitely like a, a thing that's brought up. The burn itself, there are low income tickets and there are like sponsorships. So there are ways to get there if you're motivated mm -hmm. enough to mm -hmm. get there. And besides the ticket, you just have to like arrive there and have your own food. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily like you don't have to make it super expensive, right? right? The local burns are generally much more accessible. So like, whereas a Burning Man ticket costs, I think it's like four fifty or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then you miss uh, a week of work, and you got to bring the food and the survival gear. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. hard to get to. Whereas yeah. like the critical burn is like tickets are a hundred bucks, but and you can get there within an hour from Seattle, and right. it's like four days or five days. So in that way, it's a little, a little bit more success, accessible. Nonetheless, um, you do see the same demographic of like mostly white people right. uh, there. And um, to that end, like what what my job is on the INW board, Ignition Northwest, is I run, the, uh, I'm the treasurer and the grants committee director. Mm -hmm. So we always have a bucket of money to fund artists. Mm -hmm. Last year, for Critical, we spent thousands of dollars to fund art. Mm -hmm. um, we also did a scholarship called the Pratt Scholarship, and it's with the Pratt Institute, which oh, is the yeah. local art institute. So every year we have like a scholar. And one thing that we had discussed last year was to increase the amount of engagement with more diverse communities. Mm -hmm. So for example, 
There's a pretty good contingent of people in Central District mm -hmm. of Burners there. Central District is also still, at least for now, a relatively diverse community. And so there's a lot of burners who have a lot of interesting talents, whether mm -hmm. uh, so from the professional realm, like working in a corporation or like a lawyer or whatever it is, to the more artistic realm. So the thinking is and our logic is, is that there must be some some room to be able to kind of merge those two. Mm -hmm. I think like we had a bit of a transition with the board this year where like we were down to kind of a skeleton crew of three people and we haven't been able to initiate to initiate as much of those um of yeah. those initiatives as we want you need you um, need a support team to really drive change yeah, yeah. And, and i think we're starting to get there like uh, i think uh the past year has like built a lot of like uh, uh the board has come a long way and ultimately the goal would be to like include people because um you know for me at least i'm a shitty artist right mm -hmm. um i'm a shitty artist i like art but i'm not rich so i can't be an artist and i can't be a patron but what can i do I can get the patrons to sponsor the artists. Yeah, you broker. Kind of, yeah, you're a broker. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Be, be, be their broker. Well, that's um, that's how you drive change, actually, right? Is really more that that is the brokering the person A and the person B that need to, to connect with each other. Yeah, and and I would say like what I would love is is there's just so much raw talent in these different communities, and mm -hmm. there's raw and like different ways of thinking than like mm -hmm. we're usually exposed to. So great. Um, and, and like if we can start to create more or. or not create, but nurture more of the art talent that comes out of these underprivileged communities, then I think I think everybody in the community would be pretty happy about that's that. That's great that that's even a, a, an objective. That's awesome. When is it? It is the second week of July, so the week after July 4th. Great. Well, we'll post that on the uh, post when we, when we run the show, for sure, just so folks can check it out. You know, we end, like to end every episode with a segment we call, If You Care About, You Should. Fill in the blanks. Whew. You know, one thing that just really pisses me off still is like how many water bottles people drink mm. and that people don't drink tap water. So if you care about the world's oceans, drink tap water. Awesome. Daniel Azulai, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me on UpZones. <laughs> <laughs> that was Daniel Azulai. Check his group out at Ignition Northwest. That's ignitionnw.com. I think they still have a couple tickets left uh, for Critical Northwest, the big regional burn this July. I very strongly recommend for those of you interested in just dipping a toe in the water. Also thanks to Andrew Eggleston, who is the founder and uh, publisher of Cascadia Magazine. What an amazing guy, really sweet guy, knows what the hell he's talking about and has a great, great mission. Support them by going to Cascadia Magazine online. This has been a Cascadia Underground production. Thanks again to Anthony McPherson for the dope poem sample, Subcons for their music. I'm your host, Ian Martinez, and this has been Up Zones. See you next week. <laughs>